Good morning, church. I wrote that down. Okay, so I'll leave a little insight now into the life of Emma Miles. Yesterday, I sat out, uh, in my spare room uh, with my laptop on my ironing board because I get a standing desk that way. And I practice. As I, as I write, I practice. And so I'm there going, good morning, church. And Hannah walks by. She went, you're not going to say that, are you, mother? I was like, absolutely, I am. Good morning, church. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be church if I didn't. Um, today, we are continuing in our series of the hands of Jesus following our vision for this term. And... Um, I kind of, as a preacher, when you're, you're, uh, you're sent through the, the teaching kind of series, outline stuff, and you're like, oh, what have I got? Which, one is, which one's mine? Will it be healing hands? That would be so cool. And it's, and it's not. And I was like, oh, praying hands. I could definitely do that. I mean, I, I could speak for hours on prayer. That would be amazing. And then I saw my topic, working hands. Okay. Okay. Fun. Great. Um, and I'll be totally honest with you, okay? Ten days ago, I had nothing. Not a thing. In fact, in Elders last week, Will gave me a lift home. And he was like, so how's the sermon going? And I was like, you need to pray, Will. You really need to pray. I've not got anything. I feel so kind of like, there's just nothing there. I'm not excited about it. I'm not encouraged by it. It's just, oh, it's just not going well at all. Please pray. Um, and Will prayed. And I went to bed on Thursday night. And my prayer was, God, please give me something. We are running out of time. And Friday morning, the first thought I had on Friday morning were three points that all began with the same letter. Thank you, Jesus. He is so kind in so many ways. Um, So yes, so we are going to be looking at the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. Could you please turn in your Bible to Colossians and chapter 3? Paul is writing to a church. He's not founded. He's not actually been there himself. He's never met these Colossians, but he has met and befriended a guy called Epaphras who has converted to uh, faith and has taken this gospel to Colossae, has preached it, has established a community of believers there. And while it's basically, it's a market town, it's on a trade route. Um, so they're a young church, they're mostly Gentile. They're trying to live for Jesus in a world that is, to be honest, pretty hostile, with a ton of false teaching flying around them, trying to creep into them. And so Paul writes to the church to remind them of the truth that their faith is centered upon, it's grounded in, it begins and ends and glorifies one man alone, and that is Christ Jesus. And like most of Paul's letters, it's a great letter, by the way, really short, you can read it in like 20 minutes. Um, It starts with soaring, beautiful, deep, nourishing theology, kind of the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book is how you live that theology out in practice. Um, And I love that Paul gets into like the nitty gritty of how we live our everyday lives for him. So we pick it up in chapter 3, which is where we start with the practical life bit. And verse 12 says this. I've got the clicker, Emma. You need to use the clicker. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Cracking verses, aren't they? Fantastic stuff. Well done, Paul. Um, We are going to dip into these verses a bit earlier on in the chapter as well, in chapter 3, a bit later on, but we're going to kind of ground ourselves in these ones. Now, before we dive into kind of the deep end, I guess, um, I know there's going to be some of us for whom the temptation will be to think that this morning's topic of kind of work um, is not for them. Maybe you're not at work at the moment because you're home with little ones. But I want to encourage you this morning that you need to listen because what you do at home is just as important and is just as hard and demanding as what those in the workplace do. So God wants to speak to you this morning. And I know there's going to be some here who are tempted to say, phew, I'm not at work anymore. I've retired. Um, And this is going to kind of, uh, I don't have to kind of take on board what's said this morning. And you would be wrong as well. Um, Because I know from knowing you guys, there is not one retired member in our congregation who doesn't do some form of work. In fact, it's true to say that so many of our ministries, Stepping Stones, Food Bank, Buttskin Pantry, Lunch Plus, Refresh Cafe, they could not happen without our retired members taking and and doing things um, and volunteering in those places. In fact, so many of our ministries would not happen without you. And if you're not volunteering, then you're usually on grandparent childcare duties as well. So everyone needs to listen this morning to what the Spirit is going to say. The first point I want to make, which is not one of the three that all begin with the same letter, so I apologize, it's like a little introductory thing, is that we're made to work. I know that's not the dream for a lot of us. I know the dream for a lot of us, and myself is included, is, is we long for the day when some mysterious old benefactor dies and leaves us randomly their fortune so we can go and live a life of unending pleasure on a beach somewhere. Um, but truth is, that's not what we're designed to do. If you rewind to the very beginning, we find God, and a God who creates, who crafts, who fashions, who works, and makes this whole universe that we live in. Genesis 2 and verse 2 says this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. 
And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he had rested from the work of creating he had done. The biblical authors then go on to describe how God forms man and woman and makes them in his image, a reflection of him. And so we're made in the image of a God who works. And when we work, we are reflecting a facet of the God who made us. Now, that has profound implications about how we go about our work, and we're going to explore that more later. But just sit with that for a moment. We are made in the image of a God who works, and we too are made to work. A little later on in chapter 2, the biblical author says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We are made to work. And I think that's important to state right at the outset of my sermon. We are formed to work. And so God has a plan and a purpose for our work, whatever that may be, whatever form that looks like in your context. God is interested in our work, in how we work, and he'll use it, if we let him, to both transform us and transform the world through us. So don't ever think that there is your work life And then there is your Christian spiritual life and that they're two separate. That dichotomy does not exist in the minds of the biblical authors, nor in the minds of Christ. When we give our lives to him, we give all of it over and that includes our working life. And more than that, Jesus worked. We know very little about Jesus' life before his public ministry started, bar his birth and one incident as he grew up. But we do get a tantalizing snippet in Mark chapter 6. Jesus has gone back to his hometown and is treated with disdain after preaching powerfully in the synagogue. His neighbors, who've seen him grow up from boy to man, they are mystified as to where this knowledge and wisdom has come from. And so they put him down. When Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples, and when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, that word carpenter there can mean mason or craftsman as well as carpenter. And what the people are saying here is just this. Isn't he just a common worker like the rest of us? They're turning their noses up at him. But that's not actually what I want to draw your attention to. It's the fact that Jesus worked. He had a job. He understood what it's like to have to get up day after day, put in the graft, come home tired and weary. He knows what it's like to have to work assigned people that you may not always agree with and whom you like to share a laugh with. He knows what it is to work to a time frame or with limited resources. Jesus knows. He understands. And so work is a good thing. And we know it's a good thing because Jesus worked. And with all that established that we are made to work whatever form that takes. Let's have a look at what I feel God might be saying through this topic of working hands. I think we need to start thinking of our work as worship. 
We're commanded to worship God with everything we have, including our time. And if 40 odd hours of our week is spent in the workplace, then we need to worship God in those hours too. Look back at those verses that we found in Colossians. Twice in this passage, Paul encourages us to work as if working for Jesus. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's verse 17. And then whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord. That's verse 23. Our work is an offering to God. It is worship. Louis Giglio says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. In fact, the Hebrew word for worship is avadar, and that avadar can be translated as work. It literally means worship, work, and service. They are the same word. Patrick Lye puts it like this. God receives work as worship done unto him. Put simply, work is worship. The similarity between the two clarifies that in God's eyes, our work is worship, and that it's not done for our own benefit, but rather as an offering to him. That means our workplace is God's place. We are to interact with God and talk about God in our workplace, just as we do in church or at home. The workplace is a place of worship where we may express the compassion of Christ in word and deed. And sometimes I think that we think our worship is the things that we do that are overtly spiritual. We come to church, that's our worship. We have a time of worship in the, at the start of the service. And sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that worship are either the songs that we sing, or the time that we spend in our Bibles, or the time that we spend praying. And even in our heads we know it's more than that, how often do we actually behave like it's true? Our work becomes worship when we change our motivation and our mindset. We stop working for ourselves, even we stop working for the company, but we start working for Jesus. And what difference would it make to our work life if the attitude we had towards it was that this is an offering of worship to God? What difference would it make when I get into the office tomorrow morning, I sit down at my desk with my cup of tea and I turn on my laptop and I check my email and I went at it as if it was worship. If I orientated my heart into that position as I interacted with difficult customers or tricky conversation or deathly boring budget meeting, what kind of impact could it have on me in my own heart, in my own development as a disciple what kind of impact could it have on my colleagues around me if I began to work at my job as if Jesus was the person I was working for? But Emma, you say that is practically impossible. Only saints can live like that. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think the passage in Colossians gives us some practical advice on how to do this, how to turn our work days into worship days. And no, it's not listening to the latest Hillsong album on my headphones as I read reports. Let's go back to the start of that passage. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, we often hear these verses in the context of relationships. They're often at a wedding. In fact, they were the verses that we had at our wedding nearly 25 years ago. Um, But I don't think Paul is wanting them confined simply to that context. I think here we can see how we could make our work into worship. Firstly, it comes from our identity, the recognition that we are God's. Look back at verse 12. We are his chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So we come to our workplaces secure in the knowledge that we are loved by God and that in response, we offer all we are and all we have back to the one who loves us. Then Paul shows us practically how worship looks like in the workplace. It looks like showing kindness And compassion to our colleagues, bearing with them when they annoy you in a meeting. It is humility, preferring our colleagues over ourselves. It is gentleness and patience. It is forgiving those who have gossiped against us or taken credit for an idea that we know is ours. Or used our mug in the break room instead of washing up theirs. Or, heaven forbid, and I know this is hard, using the last tea bag. Why would you do that? So adopting these postures does three things. Firstly, it gives honour to God by living in obedience to his word to us. And secondly, living like this, or rather trying to make a continuous conscious decision to live like this, is cooperating with the Spirit to transform us more into the likeness of his Son. And thirdly, which leads me into my next point, it points others to Jesus. The reality is... We are being watched. How we act in the workplace, how we interact with others, the words that we say and the attitudes and behaviours that we display send people one of two ways. They either send them towards Jesus or away from him. Paul states that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus wherever we go and that most definitely includes the workplace. Ken Costa, who's one of the leading thinkers on work in theology, he states that we need to recognize that we represent Jesus in the workplace. As Christ followers, how we treat others and how diligently and faithfully we do our work reflects on the Lord for good or bad. I remember very clearly um, one of uh, my first positions as a teacher. I came into the school and there was another Christian in the school. Um, And he had a very different attitude to Christianity in the workplace. Um, And it's fair to say he was a fairly obnoxious person and Jesus had a lot of work to do on him. Um, And he left shortly afterwards. But I remember in one, he was just so argumentative. And um, I remember in one staff meeting, he turned around and he said, my arrogance is a gift from God. And um, I had two colleagues, and I had to spend so much time after he left kind of undoing the damage um, that his behavior had done to the reputation of Christ. They're like, how, how, like, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be that. And I was like, okay, Jesus is different from that. Let me introduce you to how Jesus actually is. Um, It was definitely not Colossians 3, verse 12 to 15. There was no gentleness, patience, kindness, or compassion. Um, So, this is the kind of thing that happens. 
that when people find out that you are a Christian, they will watch you and how you behave and what you say and your attitude reflects not just on you, but also on your saviour. And the presumption in these verses in Colossians and elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is another one, which echoes this encouragement to work as to the Lord, is that as Christ followers, what we say and how we act and our attitudes will look different, will feel different, and will point people towards Jesus. Just look a few verses above in that passage of Colossians that we've anchored ourselves in. Um, This is from verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator God's not interested in where you work he's planted us in lots of different contexts in the office in the classroom on the factory floor in the warehouse in the home in the food bank in the community in the construction site in the hospital He's interested in the how you work, with diligence, humility, with patience, gentleness, honesty, and integrity. And if we're truly living out this faith that we profess, then the presumption is we will work differently. Ken Costa goes on to say that while we're not employed to be evangelists in the workplace, we're employed to do a job, we are commanded to be ready to witness while doing our job. And the truth is that for most of us, our mission field is not in some kind of cross-cultural context overseas. It is the workplace that God sends us to. For many of us, we will be the only Christian in that environment. And while that can be scary and a massive responsibility, it's also a huge opportunity. How can those that we work alongside get to hear the most amazing news ever If we don't, open our mouths and tell them and show them by our actions. Colossians 3. Now, I was chatting to Hannah about this on Friday night as I was kind of merrily working along. She was like, oh, what are you preaching on? And I told her and she was like, hmm, I've got a couple of practical issues with that, mum. And I think she was thinking um, that to be a witness in our workplace, you need to be constantly talking about Jesus, constantly telling people that they're sinful and the only road to redemption is the Lord. And whether you've known them forever or you've only met them five minutes ago on their first morning. And that some may feel uncomfortable and excluded by that, especially in the current climate that we live in. And while it's true that if you're sharing the gospel, there's going to be a need to have a conversation around those kind of things at one level. Witnessing more often looks like this. It looks like offering to pray for a colleague who's awaiting blood test results for a diagnosis. It looks like some noticing that someone is struggling and offering to help. It looks like um, preferring our colleagues over ourselves. It looks like giving more than people expect, working to produce whatever it is we produce to the best quality we can because at the end of the day, we're producing it for Jesus. It looks like honesty around expense claims. It looks like standing up with integrity against workplace injustice and bullying. It looks like not joining in with the office gossip. 
it looks like being the guy who doesn't swear and use profane language. And when people ask you why you're so different, and they will, it means always being ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. So, work is worship, an offering to God with the power to transform us to be more like Jesus. And if work is witness, the opportunity to display Jesus to others in word or deed, and then to transform the lives of others, then it stands to reason that work is also warfare. If only everything I just said was easy, right? But looking around at all of us here, we've all been in the workplace. We know that it is a hard place to be. I think the workplace is one of the places where it's hardest to fight off the influence of our world. Patrick Lye states that the workplace is the place where our limitations, fears, and egoism are revealed to us. It can be the place where our true sinful self surfaces away from the eyes of our faith community. It can be the place where temptation can be at their strongest. We want to fit in, so we enter into the gossip. We find ourselves making excuses. Everyone does it, and so we give in to temptation. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody this morning. That is absolutely not my intention to make anyone feel contemned. That's not the point of this message. Because actually, I want us to see that the workplace is the opportunity to do something amazing for God. The opportunity to change and transform our workplaces through the power of Jesus working in us and through us. But the reality is the workplace is a place of temptation. And I'll make a confession to you. It is the place where I find it hardest to be a Christian and to, I really struggle with not joining in with the gossip. I really struggle with all of the kind of low-level habitual stuff that I kind of can sweep under the carpet when I'm around my Christian friends. Um, I find it too easy sometimes to get sucked into the negativity and the criticism of others to make judgmental comments. It is hard, and I know that. And I think it's hard because there's such potential for God to work in these places. And that means that we're going to meet resistance in lots of different ways. And for some of us, work can easily become an idol. It can become the thing that we place our trust and our security in, the thing we invest all of our time and energy in, instead of placing our hope and trust in Jesus and using our time for him. There's a temptation for work to become where we get our identity, our sense of meaning and purpose from. And that should only come from God. Just remember our passage in Colossians. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's our identity, security and purpose. We can let this idol eat into our Sabbath, forgetting that God rested from his work. And for others, the workplace is the place where to use the analogy from Paul in the passage we've been based in, we can put back on the old self and slip into those old habits of gossip, lying, selfishness, greed, slander, anger, and so on. And especially if we're the only Christian there, it really is hard. And increasingly, being a Christian in the workplace and standing up for biblical values can place you directly in the line of attack. And so the workplace is an arena of warfare, of spiritual warfare. So how do we counter this? Well, back to Paul and Colossians. I love this passage so much. 
Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As much as we engage in the workplace, we ground ourselves here in the body of Christ. Come on, you didn't think I was going to get through a whole sermon without talking about how important church is, did you? Come on! We are in our workplaces for most of the week, yes, but we need to be regularly refueling ourselves. Yes, through our personal time with him each and every day, absolutely. But most definitely through meeting together, through strengthening and encouraging each other to keep going hard after Jesus. And for those of us who are struggling, we can ask someone to come and pray with us. We have a prayer team who's just longing to do that, as we've heard this morning, to keep us accountable in the face of temptation. We come here and remind ourselves to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We lift our hearts and our voices to him in praise and gratitude. And we remember that all we do, it is for Jesus. Are you ready for Monday morning? Shall we stand and pray? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you honour work. And it is, um, I was about to say, Jesus, that it's a necessary evil. And that's um, probably not the best choice of words, but you know what I mean, God. Um, It is necessary for most of us in this room. And for those of us who it's not necessary, we're still engaging in some way, shape or form. So Father, I want to pray that your spirit would strengthen us in our workplaces. I want to pray, Father, that your spirit would strengthen us specifically in those moments of temptation, when we are tempted to join in with the world, in whatever form that looks like. The temptation may be different for each one of us, but I, as I was um, thinking, that this whole idea of gossip really was very strong um, as I kind of prayed and prepared. I want to pray, Father, that you would season our words with salt and grace. And that we would speak differently to those around us. Speak light and truth and compassion. I want to pray, Father, that you would help us to to spend all of our time working as to the Lord. To put in um, and work diligently and faithfully to give you honour. I want to pray, Father, for opportunities to share your word in words And to speak about you and in deeds and actions. Open our eyes, Father, to see the opportunities to spread your kingdom in our workplaces. I want to pray, Father, for your spirit to strengthen our relationships with our colleagues. So there'd be more opportunities to speak about you. Father, I want to pray that our light that comes from you would shine brightly in our workplaces. That people would see the difference. And that you would use us as your ambassadors. And you would use us as agents of transformation to show that there is a better way. A better way to live in this world. A better way to run our departments and teams and businesses. And that, Father, you would bless us as we seek to work for you. You would bless us and use us to bless others that others may come to know this beautiful, amazing, 
good news that we have. And that, Father, you would extend your kingdom in our workplaces using us. And I ask this in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Amen.